800-764-3000. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success. Richmond Biz Live on WLEE 990 AM. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for one hour of engaging and informative solutions to achieve your dream. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbiz.com and download your program schedule. Do something important for yourself and clear your calendar. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLEE 990 AM for the most important hour in your week. This is WLEE News Tyke News Talk 990 AM. Good morning and welcome to Richmond Biz Live, the show that's growing Richmond's economy one business at a time. Today, we are starting show number three, so join the conversation, please. And you can get in here by dialing in on 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or if you're in your car, the easier way to remember, it's 844-BIZLIVE, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. I'm your host, William Eastman. I'm a managing partner for the Growth Works, a Richmond-based growth company with offices in Richmond, um, Kansas City, Las Vegas, and Calgary, Alberta. And again, our mission here for the show is to grow Richmond's business, grow Richmond's economy one business at a time. That, that was too much coffee this morning, I think. Okay, here we go. Um, what's the show about? Well, when we, when we put this thing together, what we did is we selected a number of topics that we thought would are critical to determine your level and rate of growth. And so what we did is we designed these segments to be 10-minute conversations delivered by a local business expert. Um, these are people that are not only consultants in the area, these are people who are running their own companies. And so really what the show is about is Richmond businesses helping rich businesses. In each one of the segments, we're going to attempt to answer three questions. One is, why is this particular topic or area critical? Number two, what benefit can you expect if you somehow employ this or use uh, the information? And then number three, how to get it done. And of course, we know that getting it done and... Um, in the three or four minutes that we're going to discuss it, it's probably not possible. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you some options about where to get other resources, uh, such as you can either come to our website, which would be richmondbizlive.com, richmondbizlive.com, go to our resource page, um, or I will direct you to the website of our particular topic uh, experts. And so everything we cover on the show is on our website on the resources page. Um, everything that we've done up to date is there. And by Sunday evening, Monday morning, uh, the Saturday show is up. And so that is richmondbizlive.com. And uh, from there, you can actually watch the streaming of the show or listen to it over the Internet, as well as have the phone number to dial in. And again, that's 844-249-5483. Okay. Um, so how the show start? Well, what I did is I'm, I'm making you live my my Saturdays. At 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, uh, up until three weeks ago, I would be doing four things. I'd be reviewing the week, and I would be asking myself, are we on plan, which is an issue about how we're doing in sales? Are we on schedule? Do we have the things that we're supposed to produce out this week, whether it was for clients or it's for internal consumption? The status of cases in terms of uh, service complaints, and have we adequately, or not adequately, have we handled them in a way that the customer's happy with us? And then finally, are we on budget and uh, looking at our cash flow and our finances? And so I thought, hey, if I'm going through this at 10 o'clock every morning uh, on a Saturday, 
Uh, so, so are probably you, and this is probably the best way to use your time. And so what I wanted to do is address these issues that are critical to the engine of Americans, uh, America's economy, and that is small businesses. So let's get into our first topic area. Uh, this week, uh, we've got Linda Heath talking about the financials of 550.80, which we discussed uh, a little bit in the last show. And uh, what Linda's going to do is that she's going to take that and she's going to pick up where we left off in the last segment. So, Linda, welcome to the show. Well, good morning. How are you? Yes, and I'd like to start by defining terms. The focus this quarter is on small businesses that qualify as low-impact firms. They're kind of the 80% of the ones who make it above that million-dollar level. So small business means a million to $10 million of revenue and 11 to 60 employees. And um, the research you shared said that the high-impact firms are usually 25 years old on average, and they're the younger firms. So I'm guessing these firms, low-impact firms, have been around for a long time. They didn't make their million dollars overnight. And the interesting thing is um, it, their growth rate tends to be 0 to 4% per year, and so it takes a very long time to get to those revenue levels. Um, and the, the key is, though, that although they've past important milestones, if you ask for their financials, you'd probably see that they're struggling. So we're going to hit on yeah. three questions, which is, when will it get easier? What's causing our glass ceiling? And how do I overcome the bloop factor? Okay, so um, when, do, when does it get easier? All right, let me tell you a personal story. In 1990, I formed a company with a business owner. We were a design-build construction firm focusing on the requirements of data centers and computer rooms. Um, we, I owned the business from 90 to 98. I sold it in 98 for a pittance, um, but we have successfully completed our largest project to date, $5 million uh, critical power overhaul for a bank here in Richmond. Um, in 1994, I had to let, kick my partner out of the business for a per serious, excuse me, serious personal reasons. It was pretty traumatic, and probably some of our listeners have been through something like that. Well, we could probably do a show on picking partners. Yeah, we so. could. We could. Anyway, we started the business in June right before Desert Storm. We were the new kids on the block. I was divorced supporting myself. He had no outside income. We barely capitalized the company. We threw in $3,000 each, and I threw in a computer with an 8088 chip and a Hercules monochrome monitor and a 54 baud modem, and that made me the 51% owner of that business. <laughs> and um, so we, even though we had some credentials, we had to start all over, basically. And as you can imagine, it was a bumpy start. And then four years in, I have to let him go, replace him with somebody who had essential engineering skills. So even though I had the business skills to keep the business going, I didn't have the technical skills that we required to stay in business. Um, so I paid this other guy a lot more than I was able to pay myself. And I kept thinking, okay, next year will be my year. But it was really wearing me down. And I see you shaking your head. So you oh. know the story. Um, been through partners. I've been through partners. So I decided to call a local business owner of a manufacturing company. They were very successful. They manufactured equipment that we would specify and install in as many computer rooms as we could. Um, he and his business partner had been in business a lot longer. And in my eyes, they had won the trifecta of business ownership mm -hmm. because they were able to keep their company. I had heard that they had broken the $10 million revenue ceiling. Wow. And the public, we knew it was public knowledge that they had sold a large chunk of their company to um, an outside company. So they actually ended up keeping their company and working there, putting a lot of money in their own pockets, and now they had deep pockets to be a very strong competitor. So I had this guy on a pedestal, and I called him up and I said, can I pick your brain? He said, sure. So I went in, and we had the, the pleasantries. And then I said, okay, tell me what's the hardest thing. You know, in my eyes, you've made it. What's the hardest thing? And he said, Linda, I know every crack in my bedroom ceiling. Our monthly payroll is $250,000, 
and I lie awake at night trying to figure out how we're going to meet the next payroll. So, you know what I did when I left the meeting? <laughs> What'd you do? I went to my car and I banged my head on the steering wheel three <laughs> times because that was not the answer I was looking for. And this is what I'd like to tell our listeners about this question. Never. If your business model is working harder instead of working smart, smarter, then for you it is never going to get easier because you're going to have new challenges to lead your company at every stage in its life cycle. And if you want to get out of the cash flow struggle, you need to achieve stellar growth every year. That The high performance do the 25% right. a year. And um, when the business is moving that fast, you need data, facts, and objectivity to guide you, um, accountability for the team. Right. And large companies, successful companies, use internal business data and financial analysts. So your past gut performance is not enough. Okay, so what, what creates this glass ceiling? Okay, well, I had a recent aha moment. I was talking to an attorney who was walking through the break room. In fact, he was sort of gimping around, muttering under his breath, and I said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, well, I'm doing great except for my knee. I went, Jeff, what's wrong with your knee? He said, well, I walked hard into the coffee table. It swelled up so badly I missed two days of work, and now I'm trying to catch up for the two days lost. Every now and then I put my foot down in a way that reminds me of uh, my knee reminds me of why I missed the work. And I said, oh, would you like for me to pray for it? He goes, no, no, healing events occur over and over, and I'm sure after I've had enough of them, it will be just fine. I said, okay, well, I hope that goes well for you. And he said, well, it's going to take longer now. I went, really? What do you mean? He said, well, I'm a retired Marine, so there's been a lot of running in my life, and I could just <laughs> picture it. It's dark 30. He's got the pack on yep. his back, the 50-pound pack on his back. He's running uphill, out and back, and it's before breakfast. A lot of wear and tear on the knees. Been there. Been and then there. He, I, was a, I was a paratrooper. And, uh, I, and I said, oh, so you jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. He said, no, they were not good planes. I said, oh, so you jumped out of airplanes built by the lowest oh. bidder. He said, they were a collection of parts, all built by the lowest, lowest bidder, bidder, flying in close formation. <laughs> oh, so what was your aha? So well, my aha was, what if most business owners think that they're flying an airplane? But what if they're really just flying a collection of business activities being performed by the lowest cost resource, taking the path of least resistance, flying in close formation. Would that perhaps explain the struggles that our low-impact firms are having? Uh, I would think so. It would explain all the mid-air collisions and the fact that the plane doesn't fly. Um, so uh, so anyway, what I, what I want to... to the, the learning point from this is management accounting is a very different discipline. It's needed in yeah. businesses. The large, successful companies use it. Probably our audience, for the most part, are using financial accounting. and the, It's important, and your bank uses it to figure out whether they're going to lend to you, but it's a lagging indicator of what's happened. So if that's all you rely on, you will always be looking in the rearview mirror. You will always be in reactive mode. And management accounting, um, with a smart business analyst helping you, uh, actually gives you a way to look at leading indicators for your specific business and get ahead of the curve. Yeah, in fact, uh, the um, I just want to hit on it. Last week, uh, Andy talked a little bit about this when he was in lean manufacturing. And mm -hmm. this whole idea of managerial accounting is it's not it's not different numbers. It's accounting for the business differently. Um, the financial accounting system is done for the banks, for the IRS, for your investors. Managerial, but it doesn't work very well for decision-making internal. That's because it's exactly not real time. Managerial right. accounting is, I look at the numbers, can I make a decision today about what to do? Right, and it's looking forward. You can begin to connect the dots between business activities and how that will affect your financial results in the future. And that's what makes financial holographic special, I think, because we've really found a way to get that to these um, middle market companies. Uh, you said something about 
bloop. You and I in one conversation, you said the bloop question. And yeah, I'm like, what is a bloop question? Oh, Bill, I'm so glad you asked. That is a highly technical term. The bloop factor, B-L-0-0-P. Oh, okay. zeros. Okay. There so you go. I don't oh, even know course. how to pronounce I'm a numbers that. person. Um, that must well, be Welsh. So here's what bloop is. It's the sound you hear when you lean over the edge of the boat to reel in the big fish and you hear your uh, expensive sunglasses slide off the tip of your nose. <laughs> bloop is the sound you hear when you turn around too fast at the pool. You're watching the kids at the pool. You turn around too fast and your expensive smartphone falls into the pool. That's the sound you hear. It's the sound of trouble that gives you that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. So when I was going through commercial loan training many, many years ago, they said something that has stuck with me forever. They said, you can lose money more than once. Your business can lose money more than once, but you can only run out of cash once. Oh, wow. Wow, that is, that that is so profound? true. That is profound. And, so, and I've seen it as an underwriter. That you, I, you can see that occasional bad year or that recurring so-so year and the company stay in the, in the game, but then one day they're gone. And so the way you overcome bloop is you have to start calculating your burn rate. You really have to understand how fast is your business in its current state, the way you are currently running it, um, running through cash monthly or weekly. And then you have to know how you're going to bring in the sales and manage that operations to beat that. Um, so I encourage them to listen carefully to my colleagues, Mike Carroll and Andy Schulich on those. But uh, the, the research shows that the low-impact firms are struggling because they generate less revenue per employee. That's one key metric. That, that is so and true. The high impact In firms. fact, that could be the one metric if you measured one. That would be the one measure, uh, metric to tell you where you stand. Um, Linda, as we close this out, because I know you're going to pick this up in your next, uh, your next segment. Uh, I sure am. How, how do people get in touch with you? How do people get more information on, on this particular topic? Well, as you can tell, I am passionate about solving this problem for businesses, local businesses. First of all, I'd encourage them to reach out to our Richmond BizLive website. They can reach me through that. Uh, my name is Linda Heath. I'm on LinkedIn. would love to have a LinkedIn connection. And the company is Financial Holographics, www.financialholographics.com, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. Oh, I like that. Thank you, Linda. And we'll be back. Hello, I'm Linda Heath, President of Financial Holographics and your Chief Business Analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Join me Saturday mornings at Richmond Biz Live for live answers to your nagging questions. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. Hi, my name is Eric McCalma, CEO of the Firestarter Group. With over 75 years of collective experience, our team of experts works relentlessly to uncover your organization's unique identity, focusing on the most effective means of communicating your brand. We believe successful branding establishes an emotional connection between an organization and its target audiences. The days of old business models are over. It's time to rethink your business. Welcome to Firestarter. Visit us at firestartergroup.com or richmondbizlive.com and take our complimentary 30-second brain audit to gauge where your brand is at today. Well, well we're back. Hey, join the conversation. 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-8453. Yeah. I'd like to introduce uh, Eric McCama from uh, the Firestarter Grouper, and he is our expert on brand and strategy and today's show is going to be on the impact of brand distinctiveness and this whole issue about 
being unique or distinctive in the marketplace. Good morning, Eric. Good seeing you, man. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're, I think they're doing great. We are here. Fantastic. And so um, let's talk about this, and I, I guess the place to start is why. Why is distinctiveness or uniqueness as developed to a brand so critical to a company? Well, in, in today's world, we believe that, uh, well, first of all, let me take it back a little bit here. I believe that any small mom-and-pop shop, no matter what size the organization is, um, nonprofit or for-profit, you have an opportunity to get in front of um, the world, basically. And the reason for that is because of the power of the Internet um, and technology today altogether. Um, now, we have this uh, this uh, moniker that we call uh, differentiation <laughs> in the marketing and branding world, and um, it's, it's a term that's often uh, miscommunicated and misunderstood. Um, differentiation is, is really important in terms of um, making your company stand out and different from the rest of the pack. And the reason why is because if you're competing with the best of the best and you have the ability, even as a small mom-and-pop shop, to compete with Fortune 5s and, and, and top firms like that due to the power of the Internet and technology today, then, then it's very important to make sure that you're always standing out from the rest. Okay, and um, one, one of the lessons that uh, came home to me was that a lot of business owners, and I, I want to pick up on this and I want you to elaborate, uh, a lot of business owners say, but that, that's all true, but I'm in a price-sensitive market. And it's my belief that if there's nothing distinctive about your offer, then the only thing you allow the client or the prospective buyer to make a choice on is your price. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? As well, well? If, if I've got three objects for sale you know, from three different companies, and they all look the same and they all act the same, how do I determine the difference? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use price as kind of my decision point as opposed to if I'm distinctive, I've got a different feel or I've got a different set of features or something of that nature, but there's some way that I look different than my competitors. Absolutely. Well, um, with branding, we believe that perception is reality, but branding really starts at the heart of every organization. And if, if at the end of the day, your competitor is, is very much uh, like your product, uh, well, first of all, there's a problem. <laughs> but number two, you're absolutely right. Uh, pricing is definitely key. If perception is reality, then then pricing needs to be at the, at the forefront of how you're going to differentiate yourself. Who uh, who would pay premium for a product that is cheaper than everyone else? That's one, one question I would like to ask. Um, and with that in mind, it's very important to know that, that your price that that brings that perception, uh, which is reality, to the minds of your consumers. So it's always better to charge premium for your service or your quality uh, product as opposed to the competition, no matter, no matter how close it is to the, the product itself. Okay, so, um, so how, let's talk about how to brand. How do I, as a, as a person, obviously calling up uh, the Firestarter Grouper would be a smart move by a client, but if I'm a business owner and I'm out there listening to this, how do I start if I want to make my company, my brand, distinctive? What are some of the things I have to consider? Well, um, in our case, we, we do what's called an internal uh, brand assessment, and um, those things take a, a lot of time. But sometimes for, for small business owners getting uh, right into the, the, the neck of the woods, um, they have to kind of just feel out or, or even go through a t what we call a test phase when it comes to starting their business. Um, now, when it comes to the branding piece, that, that never ends. But it does start somewhere, and, and it starts with a series of questions. And some of those questions uh, involve who do I want to be, what do I want to be known for, and how do I live the brand? 
um, and you'll you'll find a lot of business owners, um, a lot of organizations from the bottom up, uh, startups go through a series of, of, of stages when it comes to, to figuring out who they are as yeah. well as, as what it is that they want to be known for and how to, to let um, not only the world but also ha- how to live the brand internally with their staff, their, their, mm-hmm. their internal organization, their, their uh, team members because the brand needs to be lived both in and out of an organization. And you know, the thing that struck me is that the great brands sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about having customer participation and you want the customer... Uh, involved in their input. And yet, when you look at some of the great brand leaders, you see that uh, their offer is very idiosyncratic, almost like they never talk to the customer. For example, Steve Jobs and his fanaticism with the touch and the feel of his equipment. Even though Apple originally was known as a software firm, actually they became a products firm. Uh, what about that? Well, behind every brand, there's there's a culture that needs to take place, and behind that culture, it needs to be wrapped around its original founder. Um, one of the one of the greats that I like to always quote is this Thomas Edison, and he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, <laughs> yeah. my friend. Um, he basically said that that when an idea is created, and it's created by one individual, and 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 brought into the world, and then suddenly just killed off or whatnot. At some point, that great idea, whether it's from the original uh, creator of that vision, that mission, it'll come back, and whether it's through the same person or another um, individual. And the reason why is because that's how great that idea is. And much like what happened with Steve Jobs, you could see the, the evolution of, of Apple. And, and there was a time there where, where in his, his biography that you could see that Apple had fallen uh, back down to earth. But... When it came back to a new vision and a new mission, that's what set the standard, and it, it it's very important to have that in front in the forefront. Okay, because the thing that I that I took from uh, reading a lot about Jobs was the how nobody would ever see the product really until he was absolutely totally satisfied. He had a vision for what the product not only would do but how it would feel, because it it's almost like. He uh, found the soul that should be in that machine. And so the owner has to have, I think, a lot of participation in the, in the process of whether we're talking about branding the company or branding a product or service that the firm has. Is that, is that your experience? Yes, absolutely. Um, and actually, I, th- I think I've mentioned this before, but the great David Martin himself, uh, founder um, of, of the Martin Agency, um, you know, they, they've worked with brands like uh, Geico and Walmart um, and mm-hmm. you name it. He once said that true branding is an expectation of performance, uh, not an expectation of uh, setting expectations, but is setting an expectation of performance. And I think that's exactly what Steve Jobs had done with the product, because that product sells itself more than just the way it looks and the packaging, but it's the quality of the experience and the expectations yeah. that their customers, or even um, those that haven't actually bought into the, the product, um, that they perceive and value that, that product. Yeah, it, it seems like a brand almost creates a cult. I mean, I, I happen to like Samsung products myself, but I can't think of the time I've stood in line all night to get into a Samsung store. And yet, <laughs> people will line up, and today, people yet today will line up for Apple products when Samsung actually is offering things that might have more features. Isn't it true that branding actually kind of creates a cult of followers if you've done it correctly? 
uh, <laughs> in a lot of uh, senses, I, I must agree with you that because, um, and actually, let's take it uh, to this respect. Um, Apple has probably the, the, the biggest amount of, of uh, individuals that have not necessarily bought into their product, but will still tell others about them. I believe that they have probably the strongest market share when it comes to word-of-mouth marketing because regardless whether you love Apple or not, you're still talking about them. Oh, yeah. Regardless whether you, you own a phone or, or any of their products, you are still talking about Apple. I, I'm a Linux guy. I have nothing made it by Apple, but yet when I talk about branding, who do I go to? I go to Jobs and I go to Apple because who does it better? Exactly, and that's where that perception becomes a reality. <laughs> well, in the in the remaining uh, few minutes here, um, Eric, how do people get a hold of you? And, and most importantly is that how do they get a hold of you and get started in looking at their brand and what it means and how to make it unique and distinctive? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I encourage them to join us all at uh, richmondbizlive.com. Uh, again, I'm very honored to be a part of the series. Um, it, no one else is, is, is doing this and has done this in the past, so um, we're very much encouraging that. Um, you could find my contact information on the team page. Um, you could also reach me at eric at firestartergroup.com via email or visit us at our website at uh, firestartergroup.com. And um, in case you need to reach us, you could reach us at 804-216-1195. And all of that information is on our website at richmondbizlive.com. Go to the resource page and you can see uh, Eric there in uh, the last show. Eric, I greatly appreciate you being in today. Good seeing you again, and uh, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks so much, my friend. And, uh, it, and I, I don't think that I can highlight enough how critical branding is uh, to your organization because it speaks to everything about your business. But also what is absolutely essential as we begin to move from branding into marketing and sales is how, in order to be distinctive in brand, how much you must know about your customers and specifically how your customers consume your products and services. Because if they don't understand that, then the chance of building something distinctive is very, very small. And so I just want you to hold on to that. I'm going to hit on it a little bit. But I think what we're going to do um, is we're now going to move the conversation uh to a little bit more tactical level. Branding and strategy is typically strategic. Now we're going to get tactical. And I've got my good friend and colleague, Mike Carroll, from Sandler Training in here. And Mike is now going to pick up the conversation from last time about executive involvement in sales, close that out, and start talking about selling to the sweet spot. Mike, good seeing you, man. Bill, good morning. Good Excited morning to you. to be here. I wanted to step back to last session we, we spoke about executive involvement in the sales process and most executives uh, always worry about the bottom line and of course sales pretty much drives the bottom line oh uh, sure does so one of the things that we have you know the bottom line is it starts at the top with executives being involved in the sales process now the other thing that i wanted to touch back on is we talked about uh determining your most effective sales model Right and uh, and sales model is a very complex topic. It you know it could be you're gonna your best offering uh, your offerings uh, your best method maybe maybe face to face selling maybe a storefront mm -hmm. maybe over the internet number of com combinations there for most folks. But but to kind of segue to, into our spot uh, today is finding or determining your ideal customer. Well, that really starts with your sales model. Yeah. Uh, 
the sales model really uh, we're determining what our target market is, and we then determine what are their buying behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, what are their buying processes. So that's you know when we go from sales model, which is which is critical, uh, right. and we move into uh, the sweet spot. I think you call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, a, as a business, how do I how do I determine who are my best customers? If I if I'm going to draw that sweet spot, I guess. I have two choices. Maybe comment on both of these. One is, I would theoretically sit down and say, this is my sweet spot. This is who I want to sell to, down to the gender, down to the age, etc. Or, I can look at past history and say, who did I make the most money with? What's your recommendation? Well, both come into play. Okay. Uh, In in the sense that, you know, how do you determine uh, your ideal customer? I mean... They're the people that are willing to invest time and resources into buying your offerings. And as you indicated, demographics, I mean, you can break it right on down, specific industries, mm-hmm. vertical market within industries. And, um, you know, the, the key there is, and I agree with you, the, if you've been in business a while, mm-hmm. research who are your best customers. Because that's what really happens, I think, to lots of businesses when they kind of feel like uh, when they look at that target market, they're looking at potential buyers or users of right. their products. And what we find is some of those users are not the best prospects. I mean, number one, one way to de- really kind of determine, uh, because a lot of companies spend, the sales organizations uh, spend a lot of time uh, chasing after the prospects that aren't a good fit. And you'll catch right. some of those, Bill. And then yeah. well, all of a sudden you got some somebody that they're tying up your resources and trying to serve them, and a lot of times they're not profitable. No, in fact, it almost would you'd be more profitable if you passed them on to your number one competitor and let them kind of dance with it. Oh, and in, in, in my days in distribution, and distribution is an, an industry that you better be creative in, yeah. Uh, because most of the time it may not be about the product, but how you deliver the product, right. uh, how you, what ordering systems you put in place. And we used to say that, hey, let's let the competition have them. They'll, ball, they'll let them burn their resources, and let's stay over here closer to our sweet spot. And so, in, in a way, it's kind of like we're, we're hitting back where Eric was just recently, is that without a clear sense of branding and, and knowing where your uniqueness and distinctiveness is, that's part of being able to identify the sweet spot. I also think, and this is my own experience, is that what, what this dictates is you need to have some sort of customer relationship management software system because it is very difficult to look back at past accounts and try to figure out who's the best. Uh, what we do a lot of, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask kind of your insights on this, is if I, um, I look at my most profitable accounts and go, is there anybody out there like them? Maybe that's who I ought to be trying to find. Oh, I, and I totally agree. I think that you know, there's a couple interesting books out there right now. One's been around a while, "The Mind of the Customer," mm-hmm. uh, how customers think, and that's really where we're going when we're looking at identifying that ideal customer, that sweet spot. We have to know what's going on in their head, what their, what's that bias persona. You know, you know, why are they buying my products or services? Right. And most importantly is how they're using them. Right. How are they using the product? And, you know, 
I, you had mentioned this once before in a, another discussion about how important is it for our sales teams if we have whoever is handling the sales process for us, how important is it for them to understand how the customer is using our offering, our product or service? It's critical. Right. It's critical. Um, you know, one of the things that we spend a lot of time with clients early on is one of the first questions I'll ask the sales team is, why do people buy from you? Yeah. And you know what we hear? Well, you know what we hear is features, advantages, yeah. and benefits. And, you know, what I say to them, blah, blah, blah. What do you think your competition is hearing? Yeah. Oh, well, we got great people. We got, I mean, the competition's saying that. You know, we're saying, they're answer me and say, well, you know, we got great people. We got great technology. We got the state-of-the-art systems. And I said, well, you know, what do you think your competition is saying? Yeah. Are they saying that, oh, we got bad technology. Our people are not very good, but maybe we ought to do business together. And, you know, the key to that is, so we, we get away, we want to go back and say, well, why is that customer really buying for us? Right. And we do what we call a pain discovery exercise, which really says that if you've got unique features or benefits, great, but really what are they doing for those customers? Right. What problems? People buy to solve problems, uh, for, to, to, to prevent issues happening, fear. That's what we want to focus on. And how to communicate that, Bill? Yeah, I think if you if if you look at it, and I'm not a sales expert uh, like you, Mike. I'm just you know a business owner that does a lot of selling. Is the two questions you ask yourself if you're selling to consumers, it's probably something to do with lifestyle, unless it's an absolute commodity like toilet paper. You know, then then you don't have to ask yourself how they're using it. It's pretty obvious. But uh, something like a car is, is an identity issue, lifestyle. In business, it. How does it impact a business? It either is making them money or it's reducing cost. It's one or the other, and that's the impact that I'm having. And, I, and, I, and I, I agree with you. A lot of salespeople, when you ask the question, not necessarily there. Well, uh, Mike, what else about finding the sweet spot would you like to cover today? I, I think uh, we've, you know, we've hit it pretty hard, it, it, the fact that it's so critical to know uh, that you are – focused on the, the types of customers and businesses that are going to be most mm -hmm. uh, – it's got to be a win-win. Right. And, and, but I think the real key there is to always to be creative, to find ways that you're bringing value to your customers that separate – Eric talked about differentiation. You know, what differentiates us? And it may not even be about your product or service, but – you come in, you make so come in with value every time you interact with them, so and, that they realize yeah. you're a business partner. And I and I think you know to pick up on your uh, on your seg your last segment, Mike is, you know, as the business owner, we talked about being involved in sales sales, and some of that is actually in the sales process, but also, and I hit it on it hit on it last uh, week, is that uh, sometimes as the owner, you need to be out there in the field, visiting both announced and unannounced. Uh, if you've got people in the field working, but also customers. Sure. And so one of the things as an executive, what am I looking for? How are they consuming? How are they using what I'm selling them and what impact it's having? Sure. Oh, you know, you're dead right on. Uh, as executives, obviously, will be involved at certain levels, but your sales model, uh, your, your ideal customer, they all determine what your sales strategies are going to be. And strategies drive down to behaviors. And, you know, Bill, 
uh, our CEO, Dave Matson mentioned this. He said, be a behaviorist. And he really yeah. got my attention. We have to know what the most effective behaviors and activities that our salespeople should be involved in, executing with the best techniques and skills, but they, they, we need to know we're doing the right behaviors that are going to deliver what that customer wants. And whether it's end user, consumer, whatever, we we, we got to always be looking at those things. Excellent. Mike, how can uh, people get in touch with you so that they can pick up on this topic of finding out where the where their sales sweet spot is? Sure. Well, again, our contact information is on uh, richmondbizlive.com, right. and you can hotlink to uh, our website there. But our website is has lots of content, focusbusiness.sandler.com, yep. and there are white papers out there. And most important, if you don't see some information you're looking for, uh, send us an email, focusbusiness.sandler.com, yeah. or just put contact information on the website. Yeah, and Patrick is great. Uh, you, you, you all want to get a hold of Patrick, and I guarantee you, if Mike has it, you'll have it. Absolutely. He does a great job. Mike, thanks for being in today. My have, pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thank you. And we'll be back. Hi, Mike Carroll of Sandler Training here in Richmond. Do you know the three most commonly made sales mistakes? Are you or your salespeople at fault? Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your free report, The Three Biggest Sales Mistakes You Should Never Make. In this report, discover these unprotective sales strategies and what to do about them. Finally, take the pressure out of selling and reach your desired sales result. Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your copy now. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. If you want to join us, it is 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844-BIZLIVE, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. Well, great show so far. We had Linda talking about um, uh, the uh, around the issues of the 515 and the, and the fact that most of us are running 80% companies, the companies that are kind of hanging on a little bit, and how do we get out of there? Uh, one of the ways to get out of there was Eric's conversation about um, uh, distinctiveness and being unique uh, as a branding, uh, branding your company or branding yourself, which is a topic that Mary Foley will pick up on, on our next show. And then Mike was talking about selling to the sweet spot. So where we stand today is that now we got my little segment on owner as an executive. And the, uh, on the last one, I was picking up, on the last segment I picked up on where Mike was and, and the issue about, uh, your involvement and what does that involvement look like. Uh, today, I, I want to talk a little bit about living the vision in that um, one of the most critical things that can be done in a company is for the company to establish who it is, who it serves, and what are the rules of operation. And so the two things I'm going to hit over the next couple minutes are, one is how, how do leaders develop respect in the organization? Not just the owner, but anybody who is in a leadership role and number two is how do I inspire people to go beyond? Because I can tell you, if everybody works the rule and everybody works the standard, we're not going to make it. 
is that on any given day, we ask people to work harder than we pay them um, or harder than we give them benefits. I know my colleague here, Billy, uh, as producer on the show, I know Billy works harder than he gets paid. Uh, Jim, you listening? Uh, so the deal then becomes is how do I inspire people? And so uh, let's start with why is that important? Well, one of the things I've learned, and as a consultant I practice, is people do not listen with their ears. They listen with their eyes. And when I say something, it isn't believed until I see it for myself. And what happens in a lot of organizations as they put together a policy manual or a rule book is that it'll be something for everybody else but not for the owner. Now, owners, understand what I'm saying here because this is a bit of a revolution uh, on my part. But the deal becomes if you're going to expect a set of behaviors out of people in the company, in other words, we're, we're going to be honest, we're going to tell the truth, we're never going to lie to customers, we're going to treat everybody with respect, you had better start doing that. And so um, if you don't, there is no way to generate the respect in the organization because the people who work for you are going to follow your lead, anybody in a leadership role. And, of course, that tells the employees that the stuff about external brand or internal brand, all that stuff is just noise to them. Okay? Uh, now, the benefit to the organization, this is an interesting concept I wish I had an hour for, but I don't, so I'm going to do it in a minute, and that is the ultimate way of controlling what happens in a business day-to-day -day or over time is culture. And what I mean by that is you can put together a whole bunch of rules in the organization and say we do it this way, we do it that way, uh, but people really don't use that moment to moment. They don't open the book and look at it. So the issue of culture says, I'm going to put a set of handrails up. It's kind of like having a patio that's all open. And I'm going to put up a set of handrails to say, if you go, over the, if you go past this, you're going to go over the edge and fall off. And so what is a culture made up of? There's a vision about where we're trying to take the company. Where are we going to be in five to ten years? And what good, what significance are we going to provide and who do we serve? And then companies typically have a mission statement that gets more into the details of this is what we do, this is when we do it, and this is how we do it. And then finally, they have a set of operating principles of values about how they treat employees, how they treat customers, um, how they treat e uh, each other, etc. And it's those type of things that if I am not going to practice myself, my recommendation is roast a pig and have a keg because you'll have far greater impact on employee morale having a picnic, then you will by coming out and saying, okay, here's a vision, mission, and values. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to follow those. Okay? And so how, how do we do that? So let me kind of close this out with this thought. One is, is that I have to get real clarity on the vision, mission, values of the company. And um, that's not just clarity in what it means, but participation from people in terms of defining what that means. So no, you don't have to explain anything. Nothing's in jargon. Number two is accountability starts at the very top of the organization, okay? Uh, that means starting with me. And number three is anybody in the organization can hold anybody in the organization um, accountable for a violation. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, a frontline employee can come in in the middle of a meeting and say, Eastman, you're a jerk, though that does happen, trust me. But it's more of a, if I'm operating outside the values of the company, can the employees call me on it? And if the answer is yes, then you perhaps have something magical happening in your, mar in your workplace. If the answer is no, then you need to rethink what you're doing. But if I'm going to make this happen, 
I've got to live this vision in the organization because what it does is builds respect, which I need. It is a currency. It's a bank account that I need to trade on. And then number two is that that thing gives me the ability to ask people to do more than I pay them or I compensate them for. And why? Because they're part of some cause that's bigger than themselves. And so that's, that is really the issue there uh, with living the vision. And like I said, if you, if you want more information on it, there's a process called Managing by Values, and I can uh, put that at your disposal uh, either by dialing in right now at 844-249-5483, or that's 844-BIZLIVE, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E, or go to our website, richmondbizlive.com, and um, I'll have that resource up uh, tomorrow. Uh, so that, that kind of takes me over to my last segment here. And it, uh, like last week, um, the featured guest is not a person. Um, the featured guest is a concept. And I want to take this 51580 uh, idea, and I want to kind of maybe not end it today, but certainly kind of put a bow around it and move on. We'll come back to it. Okay, because when we built our programming, what we decided to do is, is start our show for the first couple months, uh, this second quarter of the business year, on the 80%. And the reason we started on the 80%, because number one, it's 80% of the people out there listening, okay? But also number two, it's about the building blocks, because if you want to go from 80%, if you want to be in the elite 5%, you want to be one of those high-growth firms, nothing that we're talking about today can go undone because you'll never get there. This is the foundation, and the problem why the 80% of the companies out there who are struggling to get by are struggling to get by is because the fundamentals aren't in place, okay? So our focus has been and will be through the end of June is in three particular areas. One is achieve operational efficiency. Now, Linda talked about it today with managerial accounting, and it's going to be a theme that she goes through in her remaining segments, and it's something that Andy started last week, Andy Schulich at the Metamorphosis Management Consulting, and Andy started last week, and he's going to pick up next week, is this whole thing about becoming the lowest cost producer. And the benefit of being the lowest cost producer is pretty simple. I'm not talking about price now, because that kind of would mitigate my conversation on brand. But the issue here is I want to be able to build it better, faster, for, and for less than anybody else, because if I do that, then it allows me to use price as a competitive weapon. But also what I get out of this is that I'm running a top-flight organization if, in fact, I'm able to get it down to the lowest cost producer. So achieve operational efficiency um, is going to be predominantly a focus of Linda Heath going forward from Financial Holographics and Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis. Number two is product and service distinctiveness. And this is going to be an area that Eric has been hand, uh, hammering on, and so has Mike Carroll, and we're going to continue to go there. Now, I'm not talking about a re-engineering of the product, but quite frankly, as, as in, a, in our conversation with Eric, is that if all the products look the same, if all the services look the same, then your only competitive advantage is price, and you had better be the lowest cost producer, because if you're not, you're probably losing money. Welcome to the 80% club. And so... It's not a major engineering of the product or service. What it has to do, it has something to do with maybe it's not the product itself. Maybe it is how we bundle that product. Maybe it's our packaging, or it could be the service that we put around it. In other words, the experience that you have from use either buying from us or using the product and service. But that is number two. And then number three, which has really been a focus of myself and Mike, 
and that is professionalized leadership and management. Then one of the reasons why companies are stuck here in the 80% realm is something that we call the founder trap. And what I mean by the founder trap is that the company has got as big as it's, as it's gotten right now because of the strengths of the owner. And now it isn't going to get any bigger than it is today because of the weaknesses of the owner. And that if and if the owner cannot kind of get out of their own way and grow beyond themselves, then the odds are that the company is going to be stuck here and you're going to be in a company that is never going to get out of the 80% realm. Maybe you move into the 15% where you're kind of doing okay, wondering what the next move is. But my experience, 10 years of doing this, all the research we did said that if you're in the 80%, more than likely the number one reason for that is that the owner refuses to change. And as we talked about last week um, on my people segment, is that owners are used to running the business like a wagon wheel. They are the hub. Everybody else is a spoke. All the decisions, all the information come into the center. All the information and decisions go out for the center. And if you're running an organization of seven, maybe even ten people, you can pull that off. If you got 20 people in your company, you're crazy because you can't do it. And what I've been talking about and what Mike uh, Carroll has been talking about is how do we professionalize either the leadership of the firm or how do we professionalize the leadership and management of the sales function. And then finally, technology is simply one of the ways that we put this to go together as kind of uh, the glue to hold the business. But I can't emphasize enough three things, three things to take away from today's show if you're in the 80% realm. And even if you're, in, you're not, ask yourself how you're doing on this. One, are you operationally efficient? In other words, if you compared yourself to all the other companies in this local area for the niche that you're in, with the, whatever it is that you sell, make and sell, and when I say make, we make service like we make products. It's an execution issue. Do you do it better, faster, and for less than anybody else? And if you don't, then you need to seriously consider where you're at because you're not going to get out of the 80%. Number two, is there anything distinctive either about your offer or the experience of buying and using your offer? If the answer is yes, you've got something to build on and you're taking the pressure off price. If the answer is no, then you need to get to work at that. And as Mike talked about, is the, is, and the place to start is with your sales force, is that your sales force is your expertise in terms of how the customer is consuming it. And then finally, get your act together because um, you've invested years of your life in this business, um, it's time to begin to get the return out of it. So in closing, four things we covered. Financials of the 51580, the distinctiveness of branding, finding the sales sweet spot, and living the vision. And all of this, by the way, will be up on our website uh, tomorrow night, and that's richmondbizlive.com. Okay, so let me kind of get down to the end here. Our next show. Uh, one of the things I'm going to have ready for the next show and we're going to promote on the show is, Are You Ready? And, that's, um, and Are You Ready is going to be a survey that we're going to put out there to find out if you're an 80, a 15, or a 10%. And um, I'll have it up this week on richmondbizlive.com, so you'll be able to find it. Um, also, next week, we're going to be talking to Mary Foley, and she's going to be taking this idea of thought leadership a step further. And what are the principles of establishing thought leadership especially as a personal brand. Andy Schulich is going to be in, and he's going to be talking about um, uh, the focus of lean, which is right first time 
and remove non-value in terms of uh, activities, things that are not providing value to the customer and adding cost to your operation. Uh, we Tron is going to be in, and he's going to be talking about the issues of how to integrate your platform. In other words, does your accounting software talk to your CRM software that talks to your project management software? If the answer is no, then that means you've got to triple enter everything. And today, it, 10 years ago, I tried to get an integrated platform. It was going to cost me a quarter of a million dollars. Today, I have an integrated platform, and it costs me about $200 a month to do the whole thing. That's how much things have changed. And then finally, I'm going to close that out on the people side, and I'm going to talk about the power of goals. So with that, uh, I wish you a great week and wealth and prosperity. This is Richmond Biz Live. Bill Eastman, your host. Take care. revolutionary new approach to small business success. Richmond Biz Live on WLEE 990 AM. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for one hour of engaging and informative solutions to achieve your dream. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbiz.com and download your program schedule. Do something important for yourself and clear your calendar. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLEE 990 AM for the most important hour in your week. For news from the worlds of home maintenance, travel, vehicles, and investing, stay tuned every Saturday to News Talk 990, WLEE Richmond. CBS News, I'm Steve Dorsey. Authorities say the crew member steering a ferry that sunk off the coast of South Korea was navigating the area for the first time. At least 32 